Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Christ and Culture podcast. My name is Ken Keefley, and today we're speaking with the Reverend Dr. Jonathan R. Wilson. After 28 years as a tenured theology professor at Westmont College, Acadia Divinity College, and Cary Theological College, Jonathan is now senior consultant for theological integration with Canadian Baptist Ministries and is a teaching fellow with Regent College. In his role with CBM, Jonathan participates in theological education and leadership development on five continents. He's ordained by the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada, and he's author of editor of more than 15 books. His most recent book is God's Good World, Reclaiming the Doctrine of Creation. He is married to Suwon Park, a native of South Korea, who has spent more than 20 years working with Christian mission agencies based in Bangladesh, Thailand, Israel, and Canada. Today, we'll be discussing the topic of Jonathan's recent lecture, Relationships, the Goodness of Creation and Human Responsibility, which was presented during our Goodness of Creation and Human Responsibility Conference. His lecture and others from the conference will be made available through our website. Thank you for joining us today, Jonathan. First off, where are you at? Are you in Canada? Is that where you're at? I am in Canada. I live in Nanaimo, British Columbia, on the island of Vancouver Island. It's just off the west coast of British Columbia, about a two-hour ferry ride from Vancouver. And I look across uh, the Salish Sea, about 35 miles to the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia. Uh, that, that sounds like a beautiful setting. You make it sound wonderful. Yeah, it's a spectacular setting. My wife and I have lived here just a year and a half or so uh, in a large home that we purchased in order to offer retreat space and recovery and prayer retreats for people in ministry. No, I'm going to have to find uh, maybe some excuse to, to, to come visit you. That, that just sounds really, really like a, a gorgeous setting. We'd love to have uh, you. The podcast won't pick it up, but maybe you can see. Yeah. You? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do. I and do. That just, is, that's just amazing. You just miss seeing a bald eagle fly across. <laughs> well, well, that sounds gorgeous. And, you know, this this segues very nicely to your book uh, that uh, I about which I first became familiar with you is your book, uh, God's Good World. Hmm. And um, I was very impressed with some of the themes that you presented, many of the themes, such as you argued that for the past 250 years, Christian theology has, in effect, abandoned the doctrine of creation. Um, we gave a great deal of attention to doctrines about which we should give attention, whether it's Christology, theology proper, the doctrine of Scripture. But comparatively speaking, uh, the doctrine of creation has not received the kind of attention that it should. Why do you think that is, and what do you think the impact of that has been? Uh, I think it's largely because of the impact of the rise of science and uh, critical history. Uh, 
theology uh, tried to compete with the rise of the sciences uh, on their playing ground and, and could not do so. Uh, the sciences began to give us explanations for diseases and for how our human bodies worked. And a lot of the mystery was removed. And as a result, uh, theology kind of gave up the, the ground uh, to modern science. Now, modern science has done a lot of wonderful things, but it has limitations as well. And so uh, theology uh, needs to continue to engage with uh, questions of uh, physical life, uh, not only our bodies, but also our relationships with other people, uh, with questions about the land. Uh, instead, uh, theology began to retreat. Uh, we retreated to a religion of the heart, uh, piety, not a piety is not a bad thing, but, but that's not the whole story. And we also retreated to something, uh, salvation history, uh, a history that was only visible to the eyes of faith. And so we kind of uh, gave up on uh, public theology in a sense. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, you have a very vivid uh, metaphor that you use to describe the present situation. You, you liken theologians to a band of adventurers who've, ab who've abandoned their guide but don't realize just how lost they are. Yes. Uh, and, and so, um, and this, this abandonment has manifested itself in the church, uh, in the academy, in society at large. And you see, you, you then switch metaphors uh, and you say that uh, the damage to the church is like a person with uh, suffering from a vitamin deficiency right. uh, in which there's a lot of indirect evidence. Now, one of those indirect evidences was the development of a low-grade Gnostic fever. What do you mean by that? Yeah. You know, what do you mean by uh, that expression? Yeah. Uh, some of our listeners probably know what Gnosticism is, but it's an, uh, an early uh, way of thinking about the world and approaching life, which uh, viewed the world divided between uh, the material, which was evil, not fallen, just evil. Yeah. It couldn't be redeemed. And the spiritual, uh, which was good. And our problem is that we are good spirits trapped in evil matter. And uh, we and and then it develops uh, further into a doctrine of salvation, that salvation is escaping our bodies. What that means then is that our bodily life doesn't really have much to do with our spiritual life. Uh, they're separate. Uh, and so one of the things that happens is you can do whatever you want with your body as long as your spirit isn't corrupted. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, and, and, and that just enters into uh, our church life in, in various kinds of ways. Uh, the other way that Gnosticism can go is saying that we need to continually uh, flagellate ourselves. We need to uh, uh, treat our bodies badly because they mislead us. And so uh, we're always having to uh, 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 beat up our bodies in various ways. 
Yeah, the the Gnostics were a very diverse group, but the one yes. thing they agreed on was that creation or the material world is intrinsically bad. Right. You point out, and you point out that that this results in a very underdeveloped theology of the body, and so very few Christians know how to connect their their bodies to their faith in any other way than prohibitions, prohibitions against drinking, prohibitions against smoking or immorality. I think um, uh, this this uh, this podcast is being recorded in in March of 2021. Um, in the news, of course, here in the states is about the young man that shot. Uh, some uh, eight women uh, in uh, various massage spas because of what he described as his sexual addiction. Yes. And, and the, 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 the theological underpinnings or the underflow of, of all of that kind of thinking that manifests this type of behavior. I guess this is what you're talking about. There is, yeah. there's just a truncated understanding of the, of the role the body plays in, in, in the Christian life. It, there is. We, we're, we're not taught uh, how to bring our bodies uh, fully into our life of discipleship, uh, either privately or publicly. Uh, when I used to teach my uh, Westmont students, I taught undergraduates for 14 years. And one of the things I would ask them, they, they had very negative views of their bodies. And, and that's really where my interest in the doctrine of creation started, uh, seeing mm -hmm. how, how uh, how much of my undergraduate students struggled with their bodily life. Uh, but I would ask them, uh, uh, what, name one uh, faithful thing, one thing faithful to the gospel that you can do without your body. And th there isn't. We, we right. understand how, how beautiful our bodies are and how beautiful all of creation is. And understand that as God's gift to us for our lives of discipleship and witness. I can imagine a listener uh, hearing you say that and thinking, yes, but we know what the Bible has to say about the flesh. Mm -hmm. Paul said, for I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And so um, this, the very notion, there's a theology of flesh, sarks, yeah. um, What's, what's being lost here in that type of thinking? What, what, what needs to be corrected? Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing is to recognize that Paul, so, Paul also said many wonderful things about the body. Uh, and, and we need to remember that. So uh, then we need to ask ourselves, so are we misreading Paul when he talks about the flesh? And for me, uh, the central passage for understanding what sarks the Greek word that's translated often flesh or sinful nature, sometimes by the NIV. What uh, the, the central passage for understanding that is Romans 8, where Paul contrasts that with pneuma, mm -hmm. with spirit. And what he's really talking about that there are two different realms in, in which we live, two competing realms, two realms that are competing for our bodily life, for our life in creation. One is Sark's. It's ruled by death, Paul says. It's, it has no peace. And the other is pneuma. That's the realm we're called to live in if we are in Christ. And that's life and peace. And out of that flows uh, what Paul says about the Christian life. So Sarks is not our flesh, this stuff I can pinch. Sarks is this realm 
of life, this, this interpretation of life that's in competition with the spirit. Southeastern believes it is important to support women as theologians and to equip them for service wherever their calling takes them. If God has called you to ministry in the church, the academy, or at home, Southeastern Seminary wants to equip you with the tools you need to fulfill your calling. With almost every degree available online, you can get equipped wherever you are today for wherever you're called in the future by visiting sebts.edu. Use the code CHRISTANDCULTURE all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. So well, then, as you point out in your book, uh, one of the outcomes or one of the results of this truncated understanding uh, is that there is there are endless arguments and debates within evangelicalism uh, about the proper relationship between evangelism and social action? Why would this come about? Why does this happen? Yeah. Uh, well, when you separate uh, the spiritual from the material, uh, you we generally think of evangelism as uh, dealing with the the spiritual life and social action dealing with the material life and we we have it, it's it's not quite a gnostic infection mm -hmm. but it it comes close to this uh, come, comes close to that this the division uh, between those two and thinking that somehow they they are we have to figure out the relationship between evangelism and social action uh, if we if we understand the gospel and understand uh, the doctrine of creation and uh, our our bodies in light of the doctrine of creation, then uh, we dissolve uh, the tension between evangelism and social action. Yeah, uh, you, you and I have been around long enough to to have seen all of the various uh, permutations and ways that this debate has played itself out. I remember as a young Christian, um, all, the great emphasis upon soul winning, which, right. which I get the point, yes. but the very expression soul winning, uh, it, it sort of, sort of bifurcates the person. There was a, a song that we used to sing called, let them know, let them know of the Christ who loves them. So, yes. and there's a verse in it that talked about, um, little children hungry for a piece of bread, but they'll gladly take the, you know, the gospel instead. And I can remember, you know, hearing that song sang, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, if I was a starving child, I'm not sure I would be in the mood right. to hear whatever somebody's preaching. What, what in the world, you know, what do you mean, you know, we'll give them a little love instead? Uh, didn't James say something about that? You know, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it, how some of our practices get off the rails and, and we miss scripture. Uh, we, we quit reading scripture that would, would bring us back uh, on the rails. You know, I, I, I'm concerned about 
the bifurcation between evangelism and, and social action uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we have a younger generation who are so passionate about social issues. And if we don't show them how those social issues are gospel essentials, mm -hmm. then they're going to find some other ideology, some other way of living out this passion that, that they're sure is right. And, and they are right. And what we have to do is, is have a whole gospel that helps them understand how uh, God wants healing for all creation. And that's the good news. Uh, yes, he wants healing for our souls, if you want to continue to use that language, but he wants healing for our relationships as well. He wants healing for our relationship with God, our healing for, uh, he wants healing for our relationships with one another and healing for our relationships with the rest of creation. That's the good news. And, and uh, you, you point out that one of the areas that uh, this tension within evangelicalism between evangelism and social action, one of the areas that this comes up so often is in the area of creation care. Yes. Um, uh, I read and, and uh, someone that I appreciate many things that this dear brother has written through the years. But one time he wrote an article uh, that sort of uh, denigrated the notion of creation care in which he said, look, when I stay in a hotel room, I may not like the wallpaper, but I'm not going to remodel it uh, mm -hmm. because I'm not staying for that long. Yes. And, 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 and I think that uh, his attitude uh, may not be expressed quite so crassly or quite so plainly by many within the evangelical community, but I do get the feeling that yes. he does express a mindset that this world is disposable because it is temporary. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so the the doctrine of creation challenges that. Yes, it does. Uh, I grew up singing the song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and that would lend itself to the same thing. Uh, and, and we've got to acknowledge that there's a, there's a grain of truth in that. There, we are pilgrims. We are strangers and we are, pilgrims. We are pilgrims, yes. yes. And we're headed to, to, to that, that new Jerusalem. Uh, yeah. but, but the, and, and we're headed to new creation. But it's a new creation in which God makes all these things here, makes all these things new, not all new things. And yeah. we, we need to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and discover that this world is created good. And we need to understand that the whole story of salvation, the whole story of redemption is because God wants to reclaim this wonderful, beautiful, good world that God made. Well, this brings us to then to your, your very helpful talk that you gave uh, for the Bush Center at our conference. And you talked about understanding God's redemptive story and helping us to make uh, positive strides towards creation care. How, how can we keep our understanding of Genesis 3 uh, in health, healthy balance with Genesis 1 and 2. This is God's good world that has experienced a terrible fall. Mm -hmm. So we do have this 
ambivalence or ambiguity, uh, do we not, or, or how should we understand things? Well, we do have this. I, uh, in other places, uh, I don't think I said it quite this way in my talk, but uh, we live with two stories. As God's people, uh, we are born into the story of a fallen world ruled by sin and death. And then we hear another story, the story of the kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit, we are born in again <laughs> into that kingdom. We're born the first time into the fallen world. We're born again into that redeemed world that is already present among us by the Spirit. Paul says uh, uh, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. Uh, so now we're talking about the headships of the flesh or Adam uh, are in, in the realm of the spirit and of, of, of the last Adam, Christ. Yes. And so, so we are talking about the, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God uh, into this world. We are. And, and when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we become a people who know that the, the world we were born into, the fallen world, is not the way the world always has been. It's not the way the world always will be, and it's not really the way the world has to be now if we come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we live with this tension, two stories, but we know the primary story. It's the story of the goodness of creation and its redemption. And our mission is to live in such a way that people see that, that wonderful, glorious story that's been revealed and uh, that has been enacted and established for eternity in Jesus Christ, so that other people will say, hey, this story of sin and death, of violence and abuse and sorrow, uh, this, is, this is not the only story. In fact, this isn't even the most real story. And they come to faith. One very um, arresting or mem memorable expression you use during your talk is eco-grief, uh, echo-grief, however you want to say it. Um, what is it and how do we avoid it? Well, it's a kind of grief. Uh, grief is about loss. Grief uh, is about uh, not being able sometimes to go back. Uh, uh, you grieve someone's death. You can't go back there. Uh, Eco-grief uh, is grief about what we have lost. It's about uh, species that we have lost. It's about uh, habitation that we have lost. It's about uh, water supply that we have lost. Uh, it, it's, it's a loss of, of so many things. Some of us in the West don't feel that so much because we live in such a built environment, such an artificial mm -hmm. environment, mm -hmm. and we don't feel a lot of that. But with, in my work with Canadian Baptist Ministries, I travel uh, to a lot of different parts of the world, including uh, Lebanon and East Africa, and I see that loss firsthand. Uh, some people who uh, recognize uh, the, 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 the crisis that we are in uh, through uh, all the things I, I just listed are grief-stricken. And, and, you know, 
there are stages of grief that you know we all know uh, as trained pastors that they're, they're not just uh, one one step they're not steps of grief uh, but there are aspects of grief and one of the things that that eco grief can do is paralyze us yeah there is um, you mentioned uh, like Lebanon and East East Africa uh, it, it you, you when one visits these regions, you realize that uh, ecological disaster and economic disaster go hand in hand and the human cost, it isn't, uh, it, it, you don't have to pit one against the other to recognize that both are suffering as a result uh, of, of, of this. Um, you go on. Yeah. Yeah. You go on to say that our, let me quote, I'm quoting, our responsibility is to receive life and give it away in all relationships, close quote, on the basis of Genesis 1 and 2. So what, what does this look like? That's a beautiful expression. Yeah. Uh, tell, me, tell me how to live that out. Okay. Well, first of all, you have to understand that it's, it, it's reflective of the life that God has given us. So, so it's, it's not just uh, this nice, happy, optimistic, uh, cool thing, uh, mm -hmm. idealistic thing. Uh, God lives uh, by giving and receiving life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so the life that God creates reflects that that simply is life, giving and receiving. And you can say, and, and you know, the basic thing we have to understand is that's not a life is not a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. if, if, if I give it away, then I've lost it. No, uh, that's what eternal life means in Jesus Christ. We, we're, we're going to be, we are being given, we are living now uh, in eternal life. And so we can give our lives away. Uh, and, and what that means is understanding that uh, create the rest of creation, gives life to me. So uh, uh, birds and insects and plants and, and all the things around me are giving me life. They're giving me life by helping food grow to feed me. They're giving me life by processing air so that I have oxygen to breathe. Uh, they are giving me life in so many ways and I receive it from them. I don't take it from them. I receive it as a gift from them. And then I give life back to them. It doesn't mean that uh, we can't uh, eat mm -hmm. because that's part of what they are. God created uh, uh, initially uh, plants to give life to us and then later on gave us permission to also receive life from animals. Uh, but uh, but it's, it, it is a continual giving and receiving. Uh, there are, uh, uh, there are uh, First Nations practices and Native American practices that can help us here. I'm not talking about uh, taking on Native American religion or First Nations religion. Uh, there are uh, wonderful Christians in those communities who understand uh, how life is given and received. I've learned so much from the way our coastal, uh, Coast Salish people, I'm on their land uh, mm -hmm. here where I live, how they live 
understanding, giving and receiving life uh, from the salmon streams around us. Mm. And, uh, and, and so that's part of it. The other part of it is giving my life for others and receiving life from others as well. Dr. Wilson, um, one last uh, expression that you used that again was one of those memorable terms uh, you you used the word convivience. Mm, yeah. uh, you offered that word to us uh, in your lecture. Uh, what, what is that? What do you mean by that? What is yeah. convivience? Yeah, I'm still exploring it myself some. Uh, I, it, it came about in a conversation we were having about creation care and stewardship and about how, how those seem to be tired words and how uh, the arguments and controversies around them seem, positions seem to be solidified uh, around those things. And uh, a, a Spanish speaking friend of mine uh, said, well, you know, we have a, a word in Spanish, convivencia. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, you know, we have conviviality and convivial comes from the same root it simply means living with. Uh, so convivience is the notion of living with. But it means, I mean, you think about conviviality, and that just brings a smile to your face, doesn't it? You're mm -hmm. a convivial uh, evening. It's with friends. It's having wonderful conversations. It's eating good food. Uh, it's just enjoying yourself. And, and that's really who we should be as God's people. If we understand God's love for creation and God's redemption of creation in Jesus Christ, then we should live convivially, not out of guilt. I mean, we have things to repent of, but you, you repent, you ask forgiveness, and then you let the guilt go. And you so hopefully. So um, convivience seems to dovetail very well with the notion of flourishing. Yes. That uh, that that we're we're talking about the manifestation of of human flourishing. Wow. Dr. Wilson, uh, you're, I, I so enjoyed getting to hear you uh, during the conference, and we've been listening to Dr. Jonathan Wilson, who uh, is the author of God's Good World. Uh, he also was one of the speakers at our conference on creation care and human responsibility. You can hear his lecture. Uh, in his talk uh, on the Bush Center's website. I encourage you to go and, and give it a listen. My name's Ken Keefley, and I'm wishing you a good day.